0: A podcast one
1: production. Slow down, enjoy the process. Understand that it is a bit of a game that we're playing with one another, and you don't have to do anything that you don't want to do.
0: I'm Margie Hartley, executive coach to senior leaders around the globe as well as eleven of the top ASX-listed companies, and this is Fast Track. In this episode, how to negotiate effectively with my guest Lloyd Barrett. He's the Head of Retail Australia and New Zealand for the Gap Partnership. Negotiation is a fact of life and simply one of the most challenging at work. Most people, including my clients and me, aren't much good at it. So to really understand why it's a challenge, what to be aware of, and how to become really good at it, I've asked the best, the very best professional negotiator and trainer I know. Lloyd, let's talk about why this is a real challenge.
1: Um, I think one of the biggest challenges is that people don't actually realise that they're doing it half the time, because the definition of negotiation is one or more parties having a discussion to reach an agreement. So if you think of it in that context, I mean, you're negotiating every minute of every day, and... um, People generally want to try and avoid it because of the often because of the perceived conflict. They they fear, you know, how it's going to play out, whether it's going to go well or not well. And as a result, a lot of people just tend to kind of skirt around it or avoid it completely. Um, There are probably a few people who love getting involved in it, and um, they're somewhat competitive as well. And that in and of itself can also be a challenge because they they go in overly aggressive. So, I think, yeah, generally speaking it 's because people fear the process or fear the outcome of some sort,
0: and maybe i don 't even know i 'm doing it or i 'm in a negotiation if you, if i 'm hearing you correctly
1: that 's a challenge, yeah, so I mean, you know, especially if the other person does know and you don 't know, so they catch you unawares and they 've got an ulterior motive or an objective, and they catch you at the coffee machine, you know in the corridor. And they ask you to do something. And in the moment, you kind of freeze a bit and you go, oh, I hadn't thought about that. And then you agree to something. And then 10 minutes later, you're kind of regretting the fact that you've just signed up to do an extra load of work or someone that someone's thrown you in your direction.
0: All right. So negotiations happening all of the time. It's not just this massive big deal. And the challenges you said are around perceived conflict or not liking conflict. What else is a challenge?
1: Well, there's three main reasons why negotiations generally fall over uh, or become protracted in our experience. So, the main reason is that people don't have a clear defined strategy, i.e., they don't know exactly what they're going to do and they haven't necessarily defined a specific outcome or set of outcomes. They've got a general idea about what they want and then they go in thinking that they'll kind of adapt as they go through and then they try and wing it a little bit. The problem they've got though um, is they've done that kind of planning or thinking in the cold light of day when they're in very logical mindset, right? And then you go into what is a potentially uncomfortable or slightly uncomfortable situation. And then your brain flicks to flight or flight mode into your kind of lizard brain. And all of your normal rational thoughts that you would have without that pressure um, start to kick in and you go into fight, flight or freeze mode. And then you're thinking emotionally as opposed to logically.
0: Tell me about this flight, fright or freeze mode. I want to understand what that might look Mm. like.
1: So it's called, I mean, there's so many books about this subject and it's often called the amygdala hijack or your lizard brain or your chimp brain or whatever else people have named it or dubbed it System 1 and System 2. I've heard of all sorts of different versions of it. But generally speaking, it's um, if you you kind of divide your brain into really simple parts, you've got your frontal lobe logic-based system which is your rational kind of human, who you think you are most of the time. And then you've got your very emotive, kind of more primitive chimp brain, let's call it. Um, And that's the one that deals with most of the emotional thinking that you do. The good bits, the hope and love and happiness and all that stuff. But also if you drop into a threatened state, it's dealing with your fear, your anger, your hate and all of that stuff as well. Panic, you name it. Um, And obviously, when you're in a potentially conflictual negotiation situation, which you often are, or or the perception of conflict anyway, then that part of the brain takes over. And it literally takes the blood supply from the front of your front lobe, logic-based thinking, into your emotional thinking. And what you would think you would normally do, you don't do. And I'm sure we've all had those situations where You've been in a tense meeting or a situation, you come out, 10 minutes later, you're kind of going, oh my God, I can't believe I did that, or I can't believe I said that. And it wasn't you, really. Well, it was you, but it was a different part of you that you hadn't got um, rational control over, shall we say. So many people fall into that trap.
0: When they're negotiating, as well as other times. <laughs> yeah, Negotiating, because it's, the, is it, it's about the pressure that's being put on us. Is it about the fear of conflict? Is it
1: It's so that it's whenever you feel like you're in a threatened state. I mean, if you go back to millions of years ago, if you believe in evolution, obviously, then you've got that part of your brain that was there. It was the instinctual part that was there to keep you alive in in perception of danger. You know, in in places where there's perceived danger, should I say? So, um, yeah, if if you've got um, another person who's trying to best you in a in a negotiation situation. Um, you want one thing, they want another thing, and you perceive that as a threat because they're trying to exert their authority on you. That old system kicks back in. And it's in you, our DNA, it is—it's it's hardwired.
0: Understanding the emotion that can drive the decision making in negotiation. What are the other key reasons?
1: Yeah, so there are three in total. The first one, not having the strategy. The second one, being a lack of alignment, especially when there's more than one of you in a decision-making process. Obviously, in a company situation, there could be multiple stakeholders involved. And generally, you, know, you might think that you've all got the same idea of where it wants to go. Um, and one of the more challenging aspects can be to get that internal agreement with, no, we actually want to go in this specific direction. Um, what tends to happen is people dive in assuming that because you all work for the same business or the same company or you think that you've got the same motives, you assume that they've, they they want to do the same things that you do and then you get halfway through a process and the other party or the other the person on the other side will request something and then there's an internal little disagreement with actually I want to do this or I want to do that. So it becomes very protracted at that point um, and the the more challenging aspect can be Having the internal negotiation before you can go and have the external negotiation. So a lot of my time is spent working with you know executive groups to try and get them all on the same hymn sheet. And you'd be amazed how long that can take sometimes. The the last one, um, or the the reason why it often falls over, is a lack of confidence or capability in the person that's actually executing the deal. So very often we get instructed that we're supposed to get something, you know, your boss will come to you and say, right, I need you to go and talk to your customer, your supplier and get this. And you might not agree with that thing. You might not believe it's possible. If you go into a negotiation situation and you don't believe either that the thing that you're supposed to be getting is is attainable, or you don't think that you've got the skills to extract that thing from this process. Or more often, it's because you don't want to upset the perception of the relationship between you and the other person and you try and avoid these things. Then often it falls over because of those reasons as well. So it's actually the person executing it um, that can have a big impact.
0: Right, this self-belief. It,
1: it, it, yeah, very much.
0: In, incredible. Um, so stages to negotiation. Mm. Where is that just a three-step plan or is there something different going on there?
1: Um, I mean, look, you could probably condense it into three steps if we really tried. Um, I would say there's probably more than that, though. Um, Often, the negotiation has already halfway through by the time you actually sit down and think that you're starting because you've had to go away and you've had to come up with a plan of some sort to a greater or lesser extent, which most people don't do very well in the first place. Um, And to do that, you've had to gather some information and you've had to understand the context and the market and all these various things right now if i was going into a negotiation with you over something and i knew it was going to come up i could start 6 months or even 12 months or even longer ahead and i could start sowing information into your radar whether that's through the press you know releasing articles i could hold a conference and i could announce on mass that i'm going to execute some sort of initiative over the next 12 months. I could uh, drop you just emails, subtle ones saying, oh, really looking forward to meet." However, this is going to be an issue. You know, I've got a budget constraint here or I've got this issue over here. So by the time we actually sit down and start having the conversation, I've already moved you. You just didn't realize I'd done it.
0: Wow, this is called priming language when we're mm. trying to set somebody up. Is that the same thing that you're talking about now? Similar.
1: We call it preconditioning. Preconditioning or, or priming or yeah,
0: positioning. Exactly. And I didn't mean when we set people up. I, that was, <laughs> sounded terrible, but what I meant was when before we're going into a conversation, planting the seeds. Indeed. For example, if you were asking for a pay rise, mm-hmm. you for the last six months need to have been telling the person you're asking a pay rise from that there are certain things that you're looking for in your package. So it's the same thing, whether, no matter how big the deal is. Yeah. I'm going to be watching all of those plants in the press now, but that's great. <laughs> uh, so what else? Talking about planning and strategy, which we don't do so well, what else?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would say that 90% of negotiation is in the planning and the strategy.
0: Wow, 90%. 90%. Wow, that's a lot.
1: It is a lot. Um, but when I'm helping clients get results, get a specific outcome, most of my time is spent in that planning and strategy because there's so many things that you've got to think about. What we're looking to do is remove the element of surprise because when you're surprised, that's when you the emotion starts to kick in, as we've discussed already. So, um, you wouldn't believe the lengths that we go to in terms of getting people ready through whether it's through role playing with them. You know, this is how it could go, and what would you do if they did this or they said that? Thinking about all the nuances that could go the market how the market could shift, how interest rates, how currencies could change the decision making process, what are your break points, what are you prepared to do or not prepared to do, what are the variables involved? Is it just money or is there other things? Is there duration, is there payment terms, is there, you know, all sorts of other factors that go in? Um and then also we've got to get inside the head of the other party. How are they going to be coming at this? What do they want? What might they do? How do they normally act? What will they what would they do if you did this? And once we start to really go through that process, you can imagine how a plan would start to mushroom quite quickly. And that's before we even get into the internal aspect and the communication plans, the risk analysis, the potential problem analysis, the contingency planning, and all sorts of other things that we'd have to do. So these
0: are all stages you're talking mm. about in terms of it. I've got this picture of you with a massive whiteboard, you know, and, and lots of rules <laughs> and frameworks for people. So it sounds like a very complex sort of project.
1: Yeah, it can be complex. The, the beauty of it is, though, that it's once you understand it, and I give you a few tools and models, it's pretty logical. Okay, great. So, so I'm looking
0: forward to it's, that. <laughs> yeah,
1: it, it's, it, it is a learned skill. Often I hear people say, oh, he's a born negotiator, or they're just naturally very good. Uh, there's so, only so much I believe that. Having worked with thousands of people from all over the globe, right from CEO level all the way down, I would say actually that it's very much a learned skill. Because people have generally adapted their style over time with trial and error. And fortunately or unfortunately, you know, depending on your experience, some of those things that you've picked up through trial and error might work, but some might not. And every single negotiation you have, even if it's with the same people over the same stuff, is going to be different because they will have learned and adapted from the last time that they spoke to you. And if you did something that worked last time, next time they're going to be expecting it. So you can't necessarily do the same thing again and get the same result.
0: I've heard you talk about rushing the negotiation, the timing, the mm. speed, we get impatient. Tell me a bit about that.
1: Yeah, I think um, an observation is probably generally people just want to get it over and done with and they see it as a necessary evil to get to a specific outcome. What I try and help people with is to enjoy the process a little bit more um, and recognize that a negotiation is actually just an opportunity for you to create some value for yourself, but perhaps even the other party as well. And that requires a lot of thought and time and planning and strategy, as we've already discussed. And to do that, you've really got to, kind of map it out and start probably way earlier than you think you do and allow it to run its natural course. And, and it comes back to how you want people to feel after they've done a deal with you, right? I mean, how would you want people to feel after they've done a deal with you?
0: Positive and confident that it's going ahead and it's going to be worthwhile. It's the top of my head.
1: Well, yeah. Um, because if they weren't, and I'm going to call it satisfied, if they're not satisfied with what they've got, then by definition they're dissatisfied and they're not going to follow through with any sort of enthusiasm or vigor with that process they might not even do it at all and that becomes a very difficult conversation then so i've seen many you know b- potential negotiation outcomes fall over because of how the negotiation itself ran and they left they may have got one on the day and they got what they thought was a good result but because of the way they left the other person feeling afterwards, they didn't, f- they didn't get what they wanted. Mm. Yeah?
0: yeah, it's interesting. And the longevity of a relationship, for example, I'm thinking of a circumstance recently for me yeah. where I did something for somebody but I won't ever work with them again. Exactly. So they think they've won but I actually in the long term don't think they have. Yeah. All right, I really want to get into some of these skills. Mm. I really want to understand what it is that I need to do to be a successful negotiator. Hit me with them.
1: Okay, well, let's go. The, the big one. Um, the big skill, believe it or not, is silence. Because most people think negotiation is talking the other person into doing what you want them to do, and they do that through convincing, justifying, rationalizing, etc. I would actually suggest that's more that's debate, that's not negotiation. So negotiation is about really listening, really trying to understand what the other person wants, Reading between the lines, it's not about what they only what they say, it's also about what they don't say.
0: Have you got a personal example or something we can help understand that?
1: Yeah, I guess um, the big one that people always come to me about and we always have a laugh around is buying, car, buying a car, right? You go and buy a second-hand car or you're selling your car or something like that. And um, people generally get very uncomfortable when there's silence. So often if I'm in that situation, I will ask an open-ended question and then I will just shut up. And wait, and the longer I wait, the more information keeps coming out. There was about a year ago. I went and um, helped a friend of mine buy a car, and we went down. and I said to the guy, "Okay, well, what's the situation? How come you're selling it?" And and then just stopped talking, and he immediately just started filling it with information. Oh well, you know, it's um, I'm actually leaving the country. Oh really? When are you leaving the country? Oh, next Friday. Oh really? Tell me more about that. Oh well. What were you going to do if you don't sell it by then? Oh, well, you know, um, hopefully we're going to sell it. And then I just stayed silent and he kept going. But if we don't, I'm going to go down to the local Audi dealer and they've offered me a price. Again, nothing, just looked at him and he kept going. Yeah, well, you know, they've said that they'll buy it. It's not the best price, but I was thinking I might get more. and, And he just kept going and going and going and filling with more and more and more and more information. So all I did after we ended that conversation is, look, give me a moment. We'll, we'll think about it. I'll give you a call in the week. He only had a week until he left the country, so he'd put himself under enormous pressure already. Um, I then drove by the local Audi that he'd mentioned during his, um, you know, verbose outburst in my silence. And I said to them, look, I've got this car. It's this spec. What would you offer for it? Just to see if they would give me a benchmark. They gave me the actual price that they'd offered that guy for his car. They just asked for the registration. So I knew exactly what he was going to get if he didn't sell it to someone else. Called him up three days later, asked if it was still available. He said, yeah, he's had no offers. And then offered him a few hundred dollars more than he was going to get from Audi and it was done.
0: Wow, that's a great story. Fantastic. (laughs) How much was saved?
1: Well, that's a good question because you never really know what um, you know, what that you could have got someone down to, but I'm I'm betting that he wouldn't have gone any lower. He'd have just sold it to Aldi. So, the next model with the similar spec was over $10,000 more than that. Yeah. And he'd advertised it about $1,000 under that one. So, c- circa $9,000 in about 2 minutes of conversation, I think.
0: With the skill of negotiating and holding silence. Okay, great tip. What next?
1: <laughs> Um, I guess the next one is you've got the question, you've got the listening. That's a big piece of the puzzle. The next is, I guess, resilience, I would say as well. And just having the courage of your convictions. Most people have a plan when it actually comes to execute the plan, they fall apart for whatever reason. You know, many of the reasons we've already talked about the emotional thinking side and that fear of what if I don't get this? What happens if, and the brain starts to play tricks on you and it's a downward spiral. And before you know it, you've gone past that point that you said you wouldn't go past. Um, and I'm sure the listeners have had probably instances where they've either gone to an auction, uh, buying a house is a good example, and you say, I'm not going to go over that price. And then in the in the emotion of that experience, they go straight over the top of it and they spend another $10,000, 20000 $50,000 more than they said they would and then instantly regret it about 20 seconds later once it all finishes and the dust settles. So having that con- conviction, that discipline to stick to the plan and do exactly what you said you were going to do.
0: My biggest derailer is patience. I get bored with the rats and mice and people kept talking, and I just I want to give my next ten minutes back. I'll give you as much money as you need just to give me the thing that I want. Yeah. That's a terrible thing that I've just shared with all of my clients who are going to negotiate <laughs> me down when exactly I get impatient. How to get, you yeah, know, yeah, exactly. Um, so, w- w- can you help me with this?
1: Yeah, I, pa- the patience thing is a good one, um, and I think a lot of people could learn by being a little bit more patient. And that comes back to what I said before about enjoy the process. It's not a race to get it done as, start, as quickly as you possibly can and get from start to finish. It's actually a, it's an emotional journey for both of you, for you and for them, and you want to take them on this process so that they feel like they've earned the outcome that they get. Because if you go too quickly and you make it too easy for them, I don't know if you've ever had anybody that said, you know, oh, well, you, they've offered, you've offered a price and they've just gone, yeah, done, thanks. And you go, oh, God, I probably could have gone a little bit. Bit higher than that. And they've, even though they've ended the process quickly, and maybe it was all they were prepared to pay, they've left you feeling like you could have got more. And as a result, you're kicking yourself and you regret it and you promise yourself, oh, next time I'm going to go a little bit higher or push a little bit harder. So if we want people to feel the way we want them to feel at the end of a deal, we actually need to make it as hard as possible for them so that they earn the outcome. And that could mean extending the period you negotiate for an extra week or an extra couple of weeks. And therefore they feel like, oh, well, it's obviously gone on this long. It must have been difficult for her to agree to those things for me. So I must have got a good deal.
0: Wow. That's so interesting that you talk about that. So uh, the skills of a successful negotiator are resilience, being listening, asking good questions, patience. Any last tips?
1: Mindsets um, is the main one. I mean, we've kind of linked it in there with confidence and whatnot. But if you're thinking about everything that could go wrong going into this process then the chances are that those things are going to happen so and this links back to not just negotiation but all sorts of things right think about the best outcome and focus on the best outcome you know you're going in for a pay rise go okay well i've i've earned this i've done all the, all the things i was supposed to do and i believe that i believe that i can get it and i believe i deserve it if you go in with that belief and that mindset it's much more likely that you're going to have or get close to a good outcome. If you go in thinking, oh, this is going to be difficult, it's going to be hard, they're going to shut me down, they're not going to want to do it, then you're probably going to end up shying away from your what you deserve in that in that process.
0: There's a question I've got about how I make sure that I don't go into my lizard brain so I stay in the frontal cortex. Now, I know from coaching and other things that I might do some breathing or meditate or do some of these. Any other tips apart from the obvious?
1: Yeah, so it's mostly, it's a pause and not feeling like you have to fill the silence. And that's where silence is powerful yet again because it gives you that mental space to go, okay, well, you're in your head and you're going, I'm just going to have a little breather here. And am I where I want to be? Am I not? And during that time, that could be five or 10 seconds of silence. And the other person on the receiving end of that silence is going to be quite uncomfortable. But know that you know you, you, you can do whatever you want to do because you're supposed to be in charge of the process. So you could ask for a break. You could go, do you know what? I need to think about that. I'm just going to step out and, and, and give it some thought. I'll be back in five minutes and go and step out and think about it. Because when you get out of that that pressure environment, that's when you're able to think a lot more clearly and more rationally.
0: So using all of those small techniques that you know for yourself that work, then bringing that into the
1: process. Exactly.
0: Relationships. This is, again, I'm oversharing about my derailers here, but I always like a great relationship. I'm not a fan of conflict. Is it an either-or situation?
1: Um, not really. It's, it's complex. Most people do prefer relationships, not everyone, but it very much depends on the context of the deal that you're doing. Because there isn't always a relationship necessarily. If there was somebody who wanted to procure your services and it was literally a one-off, they might say to you, I want to work with you over many, many years. But they're just doing that to try and soften you up. And you've got to take your own kind of judge and benchmark of that. Is this a one-off negotiation where I'm never going to see this person again? Or is it something that is going to be an ongoing process? For example, if you go on holiday to Bali and you're shopping for some wares in the marketplace, you would probably act very differently in that situation to how you would deal with one of your clients. Because you know that you're never going to see that person in the market again, but you probably will see one of your clients again. The key here, though, is that it should be a proactive behavioral strategy And your behavior needs to reflect the type of the negotiation that you're going into. So if it's short-term transactional, you could afford to be a lot tougher in that situation. And I'm sure you are when you're in Bali and you're doing a bit of haggling. Um, You're not thinking about making a long-term relationship there. So it's very contextual. It depends on the situation. Um, But you've got to be careful that people aren't using the relationship as an excuse to just not be as hard as they could be. They're shying away from that challenging or difficult conversation maybe
0: perfect i want to ask about walking away you just said you said the words shying away but when do you walk away
1: good question um, you should always set yourself a point at which you don't want to go past and call it your break point or your walk away point or whatever you want to call it you know i will not do a deal beyond that point let's say you're selling a car again i'm not going to go low, go below that number at that number my strategy is i'm going to walk away Um, and it doesn't, people always think walking out of a a deal or walking out of a meeting is going to be quite contentious. Not necessarily, because you can do it in a very professional way and leave yourself some time and space to come back and go, you know what, actually, I just need to go away. That's not where I want to be. I need to go away and I need to reconsider this. I'll give you a call on Monday. Okay. So you leave the door ajar. You don't slam it in their face.
0: Okay. Lovely. Great analogy. So. Um, I'm dying to ask you this question. You have you were born? Were you born a great negotiator?
1: Definitely not. <laughs> no, I remember um, the company that I now work for, the Gap Partnership, is um, gl- a global negotiation consultancy of which there aren't very many. And I came into that role having previously been a sales director in the UK for a, a company, and I thought I was a brilliant negotiator. The first thing that they did when I came in was put me on one of our very intensive immersive workshops. And during that workshop, you're videoed and they put you into case study situations. They put a video camera on you and then they show you how you acted. And I remember my face flushing red when I watched myself on that video, just talking, 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 selling, selling, justifying. And I don't think the other guy could get a word in edgeways. So God knows how I ever got to a deal, but I was one of the people like many who thought my job is to talk you into and convince you that you've got to do what I want you to do. And actually it just came across like I was really desperate. Um, Every single minute of every single day in, in every office all over the world, there's little mini negotiations happening, which last probably five or 10 or 15 seconds. And often you will feel either happy at the outcome or like you could have done it differently or done it in a different way. Now, I'm not suggesting that you have to run around every day manipulating everyone that's around you, but just be a little bit conscious and present that the decisions that you make and the actions that you take might not necessarily be in your best interest. They might be in the interest of the person who's put you in a position in that moment where you have to make a a flash decision. So slow down, enjoy the process, understand that it is a bit of a game that we're playing with one another and you don't have to do anything that you don't want to do. Lloyd,
0: I have loved this episode, so much rich uh, information, but also some takeaways for me. I'm signing up for your course straight away. So thank you.
1: Pleasure. Look forward to having you.
0: All right. Today we've learned about the challenging nature of negotiations, what to be aware of and what you need to become really good at it. So remember, make good choices and learn great negotiation. Fast Track is produced in the studios of Podcast One Australia. The producer is Brooke Carrigan. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. For more episodes, head to podcast Download the app or search Fast Track Career Conversations Podcast.